Please be seated. I had said earlier that uh, after singing that hymn, that says it all. What more could I say in my sermon? So one of these years, I am going to actually say, go with God. We're through. (laughs) Amen. Uh, But let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable unto you, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. And so let us now turn in your pew Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 33 to 43. And hear now the words of our Lord. And when they came to the place which is called the skull, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him vinegar, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the sign of the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I do greet you with the spirit of Christ this morning. Today is a day our church celebrates Christ the King, and it truly is an important day because it is the last Sunday of our liturgical year in the church. Thursday, surprisingly enough, we really will be celebrating Thanksgiving. I keep wondering what happened to the month of July, but we will be uh, celebrating Thanksgiving. And then we will be quickly moving into Advent season on Sunday. How'd that happen? Our scripture today is taken from our church's lectionary, which is a schedule of reading that allows us to follow the major Bible stories over a three-year period. It might seem a bit odd to be hearing of Jesus' crucifixion on Christ the King Sunday, but today's scripture exposes with stark clarity the way Jesus is king, but hardly the kind of king anyone at that time anticipated, and perhaps even us. This moment, Jesus' last hours, happens at the place of the skull, a rock formation so named for obvious reasons. And even now, today, when you go over there, you can see the resemblance of a skull. Jesus reveals his true self, his heart overflowing with holy compassion in the way that he dies. 
He gives forgiveness to the two criminals being crucified next to him. But really, if you look at that scripture carefully, you'll see that scripture doesn't really identify the them he's forgiving. Could it be all the evildoers who are being crucified? Or could it be the Jewish leaders? Could it be the Roman soldiers? Maybe us, too. A colleague of mine from school, Amy Jill Levine, who teaches at Vanderbilt Divinity School, wrote that whoever the evildoers are, or whatever they did, they had stories, they had families, they had people who loved them, and they had some type of hope. And the one criminal had hope in Jesus. We see into Jesus' heart welcoming any and everyone in any and every circumstance into the life of his heart and hope. Like everything else, Jesus gives us new meaning to the word king. Have you ever seen the show Downton Abbey? Gets a lot of press. I had told Emery Clift earlier that I had really wanted her to wear her her dress that she made for Downton Abbey and her hat, and when I mentioned it, for her to take off her robe and stand up, but couldn't get her to agree to do that. So, but Downton Abbey, it's a much beloved PBS TV series, and it recently came out with a feature-length movie. The entire plot was based on the Abbey preparing for and having a 24-hour visit from the King and Queen of England. For those of you unfamiliar with the series, Downton Abbey is a large country manor that houses upstairs nobility in the form of an earl and his wife and children whose resources are dwindling, and the downstairs servants with various social rank from butler down to carriage footmen. The series focuses on two groups who are bound to each other through rigid hierarchical social rules. For those of us who went to see the movie, we got to see all the drama and the fuss the household went through to put on airs to be seen as good enough for the visit. From the Earl down to the local shopkeeper, everyone believed that this visit from royalty signified great honor. Everyone wanted to see the royalty, and many wanted to impress them. We associate royalty with power. We treat members of the class deferentially, at least on the surface, and we dream about their privilege and glamour and what that life might really be like. Last month, my husband and I were able to see the royal UK family's home, Balmoral Castle, in Scotland. At where they live when they come to the country. It truly was majestic, and even a couple of the rooms were cozy and inviting with their hidden doorways and hidden stairwells. We came home wondering, should we put a hidden doorway in our house somewhere, but couldn't figure out where it would lead to. <laughs> but in real life, We love to watch the royal weddings on TV and hear about their children and glance at them at the grocery line with the magazine covers. There are a few gospel passages that would pair much better with our thoughts about royalty than what we read today. 
like Jesus' entry into Jerusalem with crowds shouting Hosanna, or the visit from the Magi we'll be reading about in Advent when they study and follow the stars to Jesus' birth. And yet today, we're given Luke chapter 23, verses 33 to 43, which if we're honest with each other, our hearts hurt to even think about it, to think about what Jesus went through. Our natural human reaction is to flinch and turn away because we hear of Jesus as ridiculed, a tortured man with a sign that was intended to be derogatory hanging over his head, having his last conversation on earth, gasping for breath, offering his perpetrators forgiveness, promising to remember a dying criminal, assuring him that they'll be together in paradise. Well, we need to remember that the image of Jesus as king doesn't come out of nowhere. David was king, Solomon was king, many kings followed, most of them bad, but there were some good. The role of king in the life of faithful people came to an end about 600 years before Jesus was born. Babylon the Great defeats the army of Judah, Saxon destroys the city of Jerusalem, the holy place. The temple is looted and burned, and the mass deportation that we know as the exile go into effect. Pretty much everybody who is gathered within these walls today would have been dragged hundreds of miles in chains and told to live in a new land. But the prophet Jeremiah had seen all this coming. As the reality of loss took shape, God gave a vision to Jeremiah. It was a vision of hope, of restoration, of restored homeland, a restored Jerusalem, a restored temple, and yes, a restored monarchy. Over the centuries, the exiles who were allowed to return rebuilt the nation of Judah. They rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. We've heard about it in recent months in Wade's sermons. They rebuilt the temple, and they looked to the day when there would be a new king from the house of David. This king was to be different from those whose wicked ways and corruption, whose disastrous foreign policies had led to Judah's destruction. This would be a shepherd king a shepherd king who would gather the people and not scatter them, a shepherd king who would ensure that the people are led by still water, giving them rest and renewal, not 24-hour-a-day back-breaking work at substandard wages, but a shepherd king who will guide by grace and love. That grace will allow the people of faith to understand God's intention. And from the beginning, God's intention is for us to be fruitful and multiply, bearing works that glorify God, living lives in a way that brings life and unconditional love to those around us. Jesus offered that kind of kingship. Over the course of his earthly life, he had performed signs and wonders. He had tamed nature as he calmed the waters and storms and as he walked on the water. 
Have you ever had a storm in your life calmed by the presence of Jesus? He had healed people of their illness and cast out demons and that had held them in their grip. Have you ever been able to make a change in your life and step away from old, unhealthy, or hurtful habits? Jesus was there with you at that time. Crowds had begun to flock around him to hear his powerful sermons and his down-to-earth stories. Do you take time to listen and hear Jesus? They had begun to believe he truly was the Son of God, their King. But the model was rejected by the ardent nationalists who supported Herod as a puppet king. That model was rejected by Rome, who wanted a king they could control. That model was rejected by all the forms of zealots who thought they could force God's hand into acting a certain way. All of, us, all of which brings us to today's gospel lesson. Jesus the Christ, our King, willing to speak truth to power, willing to gather in everyone who loves God, willing to assist us as we lay our burdens down and take his yoke that is fit and easy to bear. His yoke is one of love and forgiveness and compassion, peace and justice, all of which brings us to the title of my sermon, Is Jesus Your King? Today, Christ the King Sunday, we're invited to look back and remember all that we had learned about Jesus and our faith over the past year. We're challenged to once again claim Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Jesus Christ, our King, ate dinner with anyone who invited him on tables, on hillsides, with the rich, with the poor, with the sinner and righteous alike. This king preached about how the first would be last, and the last would be first, and the greatest among us would be servants. This king talked about turning the other cheek and giving up our coat and cloak to those who are in need, and being a listening ear to those around who are going through difficult times. We are about to enter the season of Advent. Like the people of Downton Abbey, we're preparing to receive our king. But I don't think we're going to spend too much time polishing 200-year-old silverware or making sure that the footmen are dressed properly. The preparations we do make, though, will reveal which King Jesus we welcome into our hearts. The one of human creation, the one we think we can control, the one who will seek to make us like the rest of the world? No, I don't think so. Remember, Jesus wasn't ever controlled by the rulers of his time. He turned the rules around. He upended the power structures of his day to teach those who would follow him that God was with them always, in their celebrations and in their darkest hours. Jesus taught us to love God and to extend that love to everyone we meet. We follow the king who comes to us by God's own grace, 
who is totally beyond our control and says to each and every one of us who are willing to receive the king, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so I ask you, is Christ your king? Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift, the blessings of today. We thank you that you are our king and that you call us to a different way of living than the world gives. We thank you that you show us a way of life with love, with peace, with your comfort. Help us to not buy into the secular world around us, but equip us and enable and strengthen us to be the people you call us to be, servants of one another who act with an attitude and actions of love. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.